we searched the word abortion on YouTube, and here is our response to the very first video that came up. Throughout history, whenever great injustices existed, youth movements have risen up to combat and end those injustices. You have organizations out there like the Center for Bioethical Reform. The Center for Bioethical Reform. Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform. Organizations like the Center for Bioethical Reform to receive public funds when they then use to attack a woman's right to choose. Abortion kills all kinds of people, so then all kinds of people can join the pro-life movement to save these babies. I was talking to a young man on the streets of Toronto. I spoke with a woman named Lucy about abortion. Today we were doing choice chain in downtown Regina. By the end of the conversation, she was completely pro-life. He then walked away 100% pro-life. Completely pro-life. We should remember that each of those babies that die every day in Canada not only have the right to life that's being violated, they also have the right to artifacts. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. My name is Peter, host of the program, and with me again is my good friend and co-host Cameron. How are you today, sir? I am doing well. I am recording from the basement of my in-laws' house. I am semi on vacation right now, chilling in Victoria. I'm going to a wedding tomorrow. Um, we we locked down hardcore for, for over a year and now that things are open up again, um, not that we're, we're going out willy nilly, but we're, we're back seeing my wife's parents and my parents has been over a year since we've seen either of them. So life is good. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing really well. Good to hear, good to hear that from you. I, uh, I'm doing well. I'm in my basement. Um, been doing a lot of talks lately, both for internships that we have here, uh, and for, for other groups as well. So that's been good. But our topic today, actually, before we get into our topic today, if you're new to the program, we are two guys who are passionate about ending the killing of preborn children here in Canada. And we've started this pod podcast. We've dedicated this podcast to give you the tools that you need to change minds and save lives from abortion. So check out some of our other content as well. We talk in depth about street tested and time tested apologetics that we use and we've used uh, in the thousands of conversations that we've had and learn to be good advocates for the preborn, uh, good, yeah, defenders of the defenseless, those who know how to respond to pro-abortion justifications. Well, thank you for listening to this one as well. Let me introduce the, the topic for a second. I think we've talked about this in previous episodes, Cam, perhaps the, the, the terrible science of Bill Nye episode, which we did very early on, and we did one on Planned Parenthood's videos as well. But people are getting their information about abortion, not from their parents, not from the science textbook, and not from the Princeton University study that we've referenced several times, uh, but they're getting their information from YouTube, from Google, from the online influences that they're being influenced by. And so as such, we thought it would be important to search the word abortion to see what's the, what's the most popular video on YouTube about you know, abortion. And let's see what they're saying. Let's see what people are learning about abortion from YouTube. And let's see what um, yeah, is really making the most impact in people's lives, uh, just in terms of the view count and the popularity of the video. And so we found this video. Um, it's by ASAP Science. ASAP Science has 9.71 million subscribers on YouTube. And their slogan is making science make sense. All right, so making science make sense. We're expecting something great on the abortion issue. Um, but uh, we're going to dive into that. 
one other thing one other, one other thing as well is this is our 52nd weekly episode on the main uh podcast segment on the main channel the pro life guys podcast so at the very end of this we're going to to touch briefly on some of the highlights of the last year uh, of the journey that we've been on podcasting i hope I, I feel like we've been getting way better than we were on episode one and two which i don't dare listen to uh, because I think we were super new and said, um, maybe like a hundred times, um, there, I did it again, Boom. but, uh, we're going to talk about some of the highlights at the very end, uh, from the last year of doing podcasting. So Cam, could you, could you help us, uh, perhaps give us some context here about this video? This video is titled what actually happens when you have an abortion. Yeah, so this, I, I think you you laid the groundwork really well for this because ASAP Science is a very popular channel. Um, and I know really, I, I sound really old when I talk about YouTube channels and whatnot, but people are getting info from YouTube. And Peter, you and I are having conversations at least every week, if not most days out of the week. And we hear a lot of this information parroted by the people that we're talking to. Maybe they're not referencing this video um, precisely, and yet I've had I've had kids when I'm talking to kids at high schools or at universities and colleges or wherever it may be that their their go to reaction in some ways, rightly so, is to pull out their smartphone and pull up the source for their information. And I, I actually give them a little bit of credit for that, because this isn't something that they're pulling out of thin air. They're. Um, support of abortion or the fact that they think that abortion is just a, um, a part of reproductive health or, or something like that. They are actually referencing something. My, my English teacher in high school would actually be somewhat impressed the fact that it's not just um, a personal opinion per se, but rather referencing someone that they've come to trust. And so I think it's important for us to really break down the the kind of content that they're getting. As you mentioned, ASAP Science has almost 10 million subscribers on YouTube. Their their videos got a ton of hits. They've they've talked about all sorts of different things, whether it's vaccines, whether it's about marijuana or, or whatnot. I mean, they obviously try to take a, a somewhat uh, contemporary take on a bunch of stuff. But there's two guys that um, are somewhat acquainted with science i know they talk about their their different disciplines and backgrounds and whatnot through some of their episodes and whatnot but they're generally fairly professional videos fairly well researched and i think that actually makes this video a little bit more dangerous right we we did the planned parenthood video and anybody in their right mind is going to say okay this video is literally coming from the globe's biggest abortion provider i'm expecting a slant it's when video, video producers like this that kind of masquerade as a objective science video or science platform put out this kind of information that people think that they're getting um, neutral information, I suppose. And that's really not what they're getting. We're going to dive through what that really looks like. Um, because right off the top, there's, there's enough truth in so many of the statements that they're making they can be really deceptive. And if you really have to um, kind of fact check everything, it, it makes it difficult. But but Peter, what do you say? We Should we dive into it and just kind of walk through point by point kind of the stuff that they talk through? Let's do it. But before we do that, I just want to say, you know, we, we talk about, you know, people getting their information from Google and from YouTube. We've actually, I'm sure you remember this, Cam, we've actually encouraged people to Google the question, when does human life begin? Um, because Google does have a great 
great answer on the top of that search, which is a Princeton University study from my understanding. I think there's a Stanford U one as well, which highlights that human life actually does happen to begin at the moment of fertilization. I was doing a talk two nights ago from time of recording for a youth group. And I mentioned that statement during the Q&A and one of the the leaders pulled out her phone and I saw it. She was not very discreet at all. And she just wanted to make sure that what I was saying was absolutely true. And she was blown away by the fact that um, it was true that a good research uh, um, study was at the top of the list. And so not everything you find on, on YouTube or Google would be bad, but that's why we need to go through it. We need to talk about it and perhaps pick apart what we agree with, what are um, what are good and what are true statements and, and facts and, and some of the ones that are not actually true. So let's dive in, Cam. Um, right off the bat, there's uh, there's these caricatures of a pro-lifer and a caricature of a pro-choicer. Now, the caricatures, in a sense, don't determine, you know, they it's not really about the messaging in one sense, but in another sense, it actually is. So could you briefly touch on some of your initial initial thoughts when you saw these caricatures created by the channel about what a pro-choicer is and what a pro-lifer is? Yeah, so I don't, I don't know how, like you mentioned, how um, intentional they were about it, but what they show is um, a, a fella holding a sign, uh, showing that he's shouting with a sign saying pro-life and a woman holding a sign saying pro-choice and she's shouting back at him. And it just kind of lays the the foundation that this is a violent kind of really, really aggressive kind of debate that's raging in America um, and around the world on the abortion conversation. And that there there's an equal degree of, um, lack of understanding, just lack of being able to connect with the other side, lack of any kind of meaningful interaction and discourse between the two sides. And and this is something that I think, not that we have to fight every single battle constantly. I, I don't think we should get tripped up in conversation about whether or not there are any men involved in the <laughs> pro-life movement and whether those men ever have conversations with women who argue in favor of abortion. Peter, you and I can both say that, that happens very frequently. Um, what I think that this instills, though, is this notion that the pro-life movement is made up almost exclusively of men and that they're shouting and and at the very least willing to engage on the terms of any pro-abortion person who largely in the minds of the author would be female. And, and I think that in many ways, nothing can be further from the truth. Not only do we have an overwhelming majority of of women who make up the pro-life movement that, that yes there are fellows like peter and i and yes we've talked about why fellows have a role in the pro-life movement and arguably how fellows need to take a greater role in the pro-life movement there, there's far too many men who are standing on the sidelines and and pretending that they're being loving and supportive of their girlfriends as they march them off to the abortion facility we need far more men to be actively pro-life. And so first of all, the caricature of representing the pro-life worldview by having a fella, I, I think is misleading, first of all. And second of all, the fact that there this kind of supposed engagement is both um, sides kind of stating a conclusion and shouting back and forth. Certainly that's something that we see very frequently, Peter, both you and I from our experience on the pro-abortion side, the, the number of protesters we've had, we actually had a fella come and protest one of our displays just last week here um, in Calgary. And um, he, he was holding a sign that said, I am pro-choice. He was standing in front of one of our interns named Marcus. And Marcus is one of the sweetest guys in the entire world. He's got a sweet and incredible and powerful story. He's going to be featured on Humans of the Pro-Life Movement shortly. But um, 
no willingness to engage. And, and Marcus is trying to be compassionate, trying to have a good, meaningful conversation, trying to have what we call a hard apologetics conversation with him and really engage him on whatever level, whatever footing he wants to engage on. And yet, as is so often the case, the, the pro-abortion um, protester has absolutely no interest. Interestingly, as I mentioned, he's also a fella. Um, this, this counter-protester, as it were. But so often there's a an absolute refusal from the pro-abortion side to engage in any kind of meaningful conversation if they are a, a full-blown abortion advocate. Um, and yet it's the pro-lifers who are constantly trying to find more and more nuanced and more and more um, engaging ways to interact with the public to make a meaningful conversation. So I, I found that a little bit misleading, obviously, right off the bat. Um, and, and they overlay this caricature with the statement that 56 million abortions occur each year and that many people are unaware of how they actually work. And um, this, this is something, again, that the vast majority of people in the pro-life movement are very familiar with how abortion works. As, as we've featured time and time again on Humans of the Pro-Life Movement, the guests we have on this show, the vast majority of them have seen what abortion does to a preborn child. The vast majority of them are showing what abortion does to a preborn child. Pro-lifers have a very clear idea what abortion does to a preborn child, but they do very, very accurately identify the fact that 56 million or so abortions are performed every year. And that's what's at stake. And that's why people need to have the conversation about abortion. So I applaud them for that, that this wasn't some kind of dodge the conversation. Nobody really cares about abortion doesn't really matter. They say, no, this actually does matter. And at the end of the day, this is what it comes down to. If, if pro-lifers are wrong, then Peter, you and I are massive jerks. And there's a growing movement of very young, very, very compelling jerks who are growing around the world to build the pro-life movement. If we're right, if abortion does directly and intentionally kill a child, though, then we are allowing what, what is difficult to not characterize as genocide in Canada, in America, and around the world with an identified group being slaughtered in a coordinated fashion with state funding and support. Um, really difficult to not characterize that as genocide, I suppose. And so um, this is what's at stake. I think they actually do a good job of framing the conversation. Um but if you want more accurate information, as we'll talk about at the end, there are far more accurate videos that you can watch than this. But let's dive into some of the language questions, Peter, because language matters and a tremendous amount in the conversation about abortion, right? Yeah, that's right. But before I touch on that, um, if you haven't watched live actions, abortion procedures videos, those are really, really great as well in highlighting some of the individual procedures and what takes place throughout those individual procedures. You can find them on YouTube uh, by searching live action abortion procedures or live actions website um, for this for these videos, abortionprocedures.com. But yeah, language matters, Cam. We've talked about this before. And as they you know really get into the meat of this video, they start talking about the different abortion procedures that are available. And so uh, they talk about uh, the oral tablet that you can take, which is the abortion pill. Uh, which includes mifeprestone, which we talked about this in episode 43 with Allison Santafonte, all about the abortion pill. And in episode 44, we talked about the abortion pill reversal procedure, which is amazing and fascinating and has saved many lives so far. Um, so go check those out. So they talk about the oral tablet. They talk about vacuum aspiration. They talk about a DNC, which is a dilation and curatage. They talk about D&E, 
which is a dilation and evacuation. And for the most part, maybe even for the, the whole thing, Kim, I think they're fairly accurate in what takes place in preparing the woman's body for this procedure. You know, what sort of has to happen for this procedure to take place. But while they're, while they're talking about these different procedures and the different options that are available, this is what happens. So for the oral tablet, I quote, the embryo is expelled in what seems like a heavy period, end quote. For the vacuum aspiration, the suction is used to empty the contents. For a dilation and curatage, the, uh, what, what it does is, quote, remove the contents of the uterus. For dilation and evacuation procedure, I quote, fetal and placental issue or tissue is removed. Fetal and placental tissue is removed. Now, as pro-lifers, we're talking about a, a human being, but this video is very clearly talking about a tissue, a contents of the uterus. Perhaps um, talk briefly, uh, Cam, about the importance of language in the abortion conversation. Absolutely. And, and I think that these are um, very, very clear examples of language that does matter. There's lots of language that, in my opinion, does not matter in, in the abortion conversation. And, and you might find that surprising as, as someone listening to this, that I think there's a lot of stuff that doesn't matter. I'm willing to cede a lot of points to abortion advocates um, over this conversation. I, I'm fine being called anti-choice if I can clarify what the choice is being made. I'm totally cool taking the anti-notion upon myself and if they want to call me anti-abortion, if they want to call me anti-choice, they can do whatever. I, I don't really care what people call me. I, I know there's been lots of back and forth within the pro-life community around unborn versus pre-born. I think pre-born is more accurate, but you know what? At the end of the day, if, if they keep talking about the unborn, I don't really care. I don't think that's a, a super important component of language that we absolutely have to die on that hill. And yet, it's going to be incredibly difficult for any pro-life ambassador to humanize a preborn child if the language that we're talking about and the notion that they have in their mind, both conscious and subconscious, is tissue. It's not just fetus, right? It's one thing to, obviously people use the term fetus in a derogatory sense, but at least fetus gives the notion of an entire entity. This is a living entity that maybe in their mind it will become a human later on. Maybe the, the fetus themselves isn't very human, that kind of thing. But there's a very, very significant difference between a fetus and fetal tissue sort of thing, because this language builds around the, the idea that you're not killing anything. Whereas even saying that abortion kills a fetus acknowledges that it kills something. It's removing something and not just a part of something or a mass of random uncoordinated entities or tissues, as it were. And so Language absolutely matters. And when you're having conversations with people, whether on street corners or on doorsteps or at the dinner table, wherever it may be, this is something worth putting the conversation on pause over, right? Don't worry about putting the conversation on pause as to when brainwaves start happening. Don't worry about putting the conversation on pause when it comes to when the heart starts beating. Stuff like that can get figured out down the road because at the end of the day, as we've talked about, if brainwaves didn't start until after you were born, so be it. If if the heartbeat didn't start until after they were born, so be it. But if the the entity doesn't become a coordinated single entity until after the child is born, that matters. If the entity, the the developing human being, 
does not be um, an individual until after the child is born, then we've got an issue. Then we're actually grappling with whether or not abortion is okay. Because if we're just dealing with a bunch of uncoordinated, ununified tissues, I think that you could obviously make the argument that abortion is okay. This is a hill worth dying on. And so put the conversation on pause and just say, you know, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just so we're clear, what does an abortion do? Like, like, what is happening at that stage? What do you mean by fetal tissue? What do you mean by emptying uterine contents? What do you mean by a heavy period? Because if you're just talking physiologically, there's a lot of blood, then that's one thing. If you're trying to say that um, taking the abortion pills is no different than having an unfertilized um, woman's egg passed during a period, then that is something that we absolutely have to correct. Or else we're just going to stumble over time and time again. If, if there's no notion of a single entity at that point, you're going to have an incredibly d- difficult time in conversation. But that's not the only thing, Peter. So language matters, but also the notion of abortion being a really safe procedure. That's something that comes up in this this video as well. And and what do we need to know about that? Because I think there's some accurate and some misleading information that goes around that, right? Yeah, that's right. So one of the claims they make after this is that abortion is one of the safest procedures in medicine. Now, as pro-lifers, your initial thought and my initial thought is, well, actually, that happens to not be the case because abortion uh, is the direct and intentional killing of half of the people involved in an abortion, right? The mother is not being intentionally targeted, but the child absolutely is. And so in pretty much every single time, and certainly in every successful abortion, there's at least one death. There's at least the death of one human being. And so uh, to say that this is the safest procedure, when we look at reality and the fact that we're talking about a mother and her child, and this the, the, the success of the procedure hinges on whether the child lives or dies um and and when the child dies the procedure happens to be a success so to say that this is one of the safest procedures in medicine looking at the preborn child happens to not be true at all it happens to be something that's further the furthest from the truth in, in all reality but to, to prove the point on that they take a, a little bit of a different approach cam and they say that um comparing abortion to childbirth in a, in a, with the abortion procedures, there's one death per 100,000 procedures. So clearly talking about the death of the mother. So one death per 100,000 procedures. And then comparing that to childbirth, in childbirth, there are 14 deaths per 100,000 procedures. And so if we would, in a sense, put the preborn child to the side just for a moment, and not in the conversation, if you're in a street conversation, use the human rights argument use the apologetics that we teach on this podcast because the the real question at the center of this debate uh, on which the morality of this debate hinges is who are the preborn and what does abortion do to them who are the preborn well science says they're human beings and what does abortion do to them it's the intentional killing of those human beings and so in our conversations we need to to be aware of that we need to keep that focus at the center point of that conversation and try to highlight time and again that who we're talking about is not a clump of cells as you as you mentioned cam with the the language conversation but it is a unique individual little boy or little girl but let's talk about the the stats here so abortion one death per hundred thousand procedures for childbirth there are 14 deaths per a hundred thousand procedures 
Kim, we've done a little bit of research into this. Our colleague, Blaze Elaine, who we've had on the podcast, has done far more research in this than we have. Uh, but you've spoken about this as well. You train the interns on this topic and have, have answered this in other Q&As as well. So could you walk us through what we are to make of this stat? Is abortion you know, a safe procedure, far safer than childbirth? Is, is going through childbirth far riskier than going through an abortion for the mother? What are we to make of a stat like this when we hear it? Yeah, so I was talking to our two-month interns last week about this, or actually four-month interns last week about this very topic, and I think there's a few things that we need to be aware of. And and I do apologize in advance. I'm going to get into a bit of math here. We're going to go back to elementary school and start talking fractions again, um, just for a quick sec. But before I do that, like you mentioned, Peter, I think that this notion of patients being involved, sometimes what I do when I talk to people on the street is if they pull up a number like one out of every 100,000, I'll say, okay, Sure, let, let's work with that number. One out of every 100,000 times abortion is performed, a mother dies. Would it be fair to say that that's probably the same as the survival rate for preborn children? That one out of every 100,000 abortions, a child survives? I, I don't actually know what the numbers are, but most people are willing to say, sure, that, that seems accurate, that 99.99% that of the time um, the child dies in an abortion. And that's exactly what I want to do. That immediately plants the seed of there being another another person. That if you have somebody survive this procedure, then you've got two people that you're talking about. And, and from there, I say, okay. And so of those two, so you've got a mother dying in one case and a child surviving in the other case. If we have 100,000 procedures that have two people in them, then... If, if those odds balance out, then every single procedure sees one of them die, generally speaking, right? And, and so that, that's a 50% odds that are pretty terrible. And if you want to drop the 50%, what if we stop killing all the preborn children? Because that number decreases a lot quicker if we stop killing the preborn children rather than we try to find a way to, to protect that one out of 100,000. And, and so that's where I go initially, but I think a few other points to be aware of. Obviously, what are we talking about when it comes to uh, maternal mortality ratio? We're talking about a ratio of mothers dying compared to live births or procedures. And yet this is a really inaccurate number for a number of reasons. And so if you're comparing the, as they lay out in the video, the one death per 100,000 abortions for mothers dying versus 14 mothers dying per 100,000 live births, that gets changed anytime you change either the numerator, the number on top of the fraction, or the denominator, the number on the bottom of the fraction. So let's talk about the first one, the one death per 100,000 abortions. First of all, the numerator, the number of deaths per 100,000 abortions, the numerator is misleadingly low in that we have incredibly poor reporting on abortion-related deaths, not only because, as we've seen, not only um, talked about during um, the, the movie Unplanned, that I'm sure many of our audience would be familiar with the story of um, the, the Planned Parenthood director um, that, that stepped away, Abby Johnson, obviously, um, but in uh, tons of other reporting, we see the fact that there are mothers who are rushed from the abortion facility to the emergency room and the cause of death or the procedure or the, the explanation that is put on a death record or on any other form of record is just hemorrhaging. 
And so those deaths aren't actually often associated in those numbers of deaths per 100,000. So you're missing out on probably not a huge number of deaths, but a significant number of deaths, especially when you're talking about an, the order of a dozen or so indifference between abortion and childbirth. And so you miss out on not only the bad reporting of doctors, but as we've seen in many documentaries and exposés, we're not talking about deaths that may occur long after. And I'm not just meaning infections that might take several weeks to run their course and then tragically result in the mother dying because of, because of a perforated uterus or because a portion of that child's body was left inside of her womb um, and caused an infection and she died. I'm talking about things like suicide. I'm talking about things like the slow decay of somebody's body as they cope with the depression and guilt of abortion um, that leads them to uh, arguably 50 years suicide of heavy drinking and, and alcohol abuse or drug abuse or something like that. How often do you anticipate that any of those numbers, the depression that has come from abortion, something that is very, very well documented, are those deaths ever attributed? Somebody who is drinking and driving and gets killed in an accident because they're drinking and driving, and the reason they were drinking in the first place is because they're an alcoholic because of an abortion they had eight years ago. We have a misleadingly low number of people dying after or as a result of abortion. Not only that, but we have a significantly higher, if we go to the second ratio, the mother's dying per 100,000 live births, we're not considering the fact that the majority of those um, women who tragically die are dying during what is called an ectopic pregnancy. We've talked about ectopic pregnancies on the show. We've talked about how this is the greatest risk um, during pregnancy, a child that implants anywhere other than in the ideal spot in the uterus. So this could be right near the cervix. This could be right in the fallopian tube. There's several different places that an ectopic pregnancy could occur. And the moral of the story, though, is that if a mother dies during an ectopic preg uh, pregnancy, the numerator, the number on top, goes up. It goes up to 14 or 15 or whatever, but the number on the bottom doesn't change at all because there isn't a live birth that comes from that pregnancy. And so because of that, we have a skewed ratio. And so not only is our first ratio related to abortion skewed because the numerator is lower than it should be, um, but we also have a skewed ratio when it comes to pregnancy because the denominator is lower than it should be because we're not counting the children um, who their mothers tragically died as a result of stillbirth or miscarriage or ectopic pregnancy or any other tragic scenario that mothers um, can be faced with during pregnancy. And so this entire ratio and the comparison of ratio is fraught with inaccuracies. There is meaningful numbers in there. And yet the, the reason, the main reason why maternal mortality has gone down over the last 70 years has absolutely nothing to do with abortion and the safety around abortion and the legality of abortion. And it has basically everything to do with incredible and um, unimaginable advances in medical technology, right? 70 years ago, we had no idea that we'd be able to have localized anesthesia, allowing somebody to do a very, very convoluted, very difficult um, procedure, surgery with all sorts of different cameras and, and angles and everything to guide that surgery. That is why pregnancy is so much safer now than it was 50 or 100 years ago because of an advance in technology and because of better sterile technique within, universe, uh, within um, hospitals and, and operating rooms, not because abortion was legalized. We see this when we look at countries like Poland, 
countries like uh, Malta, countries like up until a few years ago, Ireland, where these countries have no legal abortion happening. And yet um, their maternal mortality is incredibly low. Ireland, for the longest time, and I don't know where the stats are now since abortion was legalized a couple of years ago, but through the, the, um, 2000, uh, the 21st century, as it were, um, and, and on, we have had a better maternal mortality rate, a lower maternal mortality rate than England who has a very comparable um, kind of culture and society. And it's because of the attention to detail in technology and medical advances. And Ireland is arguably one of the leaders in the world when it comes to their health, um, healthcare and support of, of patients. And so that's what we need to be aware of. And so when you have somebody on the, on the street corner spout out to you that women die without legal abortion, first thing to clarify is that women die when they have um, no access to safe operating theaters and women die when they have um, bad doctors who are ill-equipped and whatnot, not when um, abortion is legal or illegal. We have a tremendous number of countries where abortion is illegal and very good, very low maternal mortality. We have other countries that have legal abortion and very high maternal mortality. And so that, that's something worth uh, mentioning as well. But Peter, let's crush through a couple other points that are, are claimed in this YouTube video and, and kind of um, correct the record as we were on a few of them. Yeah, but before I do that, can I just, um, can I just clarify what you just said? Um, sort of like, you know, put it simply for myself and maybe for some others uh, who, who like that as well. So, so essentially the claim that childbirth is more risky than abortion depends on the comparison between the risk of giving birth and the risk of getting an abortion. But you were saying that reliable data for both of those happens to not be available for the reasons you said with the ectopic pregnancy, um, with, you know, not all the data being sort of crafted like that. Um, and so arguments for, in a sense, the legalization or the permissibility of abortion can't be real, like can't sort of hinge upon this argument um, that childbirth is more risky because we don't actually have all the data that we need. Um, and, and we can't really compare these apples to apples because of that. Is that is kind of a fair analysis of what you just said? I, I think that's a fair summary. And then at the end of the day, it still comes back to trotting out the toddler of even right. if pregnancy was more risky than abortion, does right. that justify killing a born child, even if rearing two-year-olds in your house is riskier than killing them, um, even if there's more parents who die with born children than without born children, that does mean that we get to kill children That's to right. protect the lives of their parents kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Cool. Perfect. Thank you, sir. Bingo. Yeah. All right. So yeah, throughout this video, uh, it's, a, it's a short video, but they do make a lot of claims. And so we, we'd like to just briefly run through those claims, uh, highlight them, share them with you, and then give a brief rebuttal, as it were, or a brief response to some of the things that they say. So uh, the first one that they say is that uh, um, there's this sort of myth that abortion is linked to an increased risk in cancer. And they say that that has been debunked and the science is, is, is out on that topic. And there's no real connection or link between uh, an increased risk in cancer and having an abortion. Now, Kim, I don't know if you watched the documentary that came out several years ago, maybe like seven years ago now, uh, or six or so. It's called Hush, the documentary, um, which really pursued that question of whether there's a link between um, 
an increased risk in cancer, especially breast cancer and abortion. The, the one thing I found fascinating about that documentary was the director happened to be pro-choice, thought abortion was okay, while the executive producer happened to be pro-life. And what they wanted to do was put some of their differences aside and say, we are going to pursue truth and we are going to do it, you know, regardless of some of the preconceptions that we have in the background. And I think they were a really good balance for each other. But how would you respond to that sort of claim and perhaps highlight a little bit of what was um, sort of what was communicated in that documentary, Hush? So I, uh, I'll, I'll separate that out into two. So the, the first thing I would do if somebody asked me that on the street of like, like do you believe in this nonsense about um, abortion breast cancer? I, I would ask them how much they know about physiology. Like I, I've got a big background in, in physiology and endocrinology, which is the study of uh, hormones and whatnot in the human body and understanding a very basic and rudimentary understanding of how hormones work in the body. If, if, if you have your body building up to something in particular, and there's a lot of hormones going on, if there's a lot of brain chemistry going on, and then you suddenly and unexpectedly change the entire operation of your body, what do you think that does for the trajectory of your body that you, your body still thinks that you're pregnant? Your, your body doesn't have any reason to think that it's not pregnant. And what, is, what do you think that that would do to all of the processes that are stopped halfway through a pregnancy? Whether that leads to cancer or not, most people are going to agree that like, yeah, that would be really jarring at the very least for your body, right? That, that'd be really, really difficult on your body. And then you can reference some of these studies that you mentioned, Peter, that, that um, in, in the movie Hush, they talk about um, a study where they analyzed just under 900 breast cancer cases. Um, and, and they adjusted for a bunch of multivariables and whatnot. And, and what they're trying to figure out was what are the indicators that lead towards breast cancer? It's not a guaranteed, it's not a slam dunk, obviously. Cancer is something that is very, very difficult to wrap our heads around. Why does our body mutate and, and change in these different ways? But it found that induced abortion is a very, very high indicator for breast cancer. That, that's a publicly available study, as you mentioned, not done by pro-lifers. This isn't done at the famously orthodox um, Catholic universities throughout America or anything like that. Like this is, this is done by secular researchers, and this is something acknowledged in a ton of different places. I remember doing endocrinology um, at University of Victoria, and this was something that was just generally accepted, that anything that is going to mess with your hormones, be it shift work, be it even something like the birth control pill, which is suppressing hormonal expression within your body, that puts you at a significantly higher risk um, for for cancer, for, for hormone-based cancer, of which um, obviously breast cancer is one of them. And so I don't know if you need to necessarily go into all of the nitty-gritty on this. At the end of the day, this isn't a hill to die on, like I said earlier, with regards to the language, whether or not mothers are at a higher risk um, for breast cancer is a fact. It's an established fact. However, it may not be the most relevant fact for whether or not abortion is wrong or not. As I mentioned, shift work, for example, increases your risk for hormone-based cancers. That doesn't mean that shift work is objectively wrong. There's some people who are not able to avoid shift work for, for various reasons, all that kind of thing. I know that I'm babbling, Peter. I apologize. Um, but hey, I, um, I love when you babble. 
Gotcha. I, I appreciate <laughs> it. You're getting very used to it. So at the end of the day, I would point towards very, very well-documented studies. And also, as I mentioned, just what do you think would happen? Right? Like, like what do you think would happen to the physiology of your body if you stopped something so, so dramatic that was happening that so much of a, a mother's body is working towards? Obviously, you think about what happens during a miscarriage is that for whatever reason, there's something unbalanced, there's something not happening in the, the order, the balance, whatever that it's supposed to naturally in a mother's body. And because of that, the body kind of breaks down that process. But the rest of the body is anticipating that. It, it can see the lack of whether it's a hormone, whether it's a mineral, whether it's a vitamin, whether it's um, any, any other component. It's not that this is consciously known by the mother. Obviously, mothers very rarely have any idea that a miscarriage is, is tragically going to happen in their life. Um, but this is something that the body may be in some way aware of um, physiologically leading towards miscarriage, whereas abortion is such a violent and unnatural and um, unexpected, you could put it in a, in a subconscious kind of way for the, the physiology of your body that it doesn't actually, um, it can't be prepared for, it can't be um, anticipated and it ends up throwing off everything in your body. But that's going to be a whole nother episode that we'll talk about the, the breast <laughs> cancer abortion link. That's just a quick, quick thought on it. Not a hill to die on worth asking what they think would happen if you'd had something that traumatic happen in your body, um, especially with the research that's going into how trauma impacts the rest of our lives kind of thing and, and the physiology of our body. So yeah, Perfect. let's do the next one. Yeah. Yeah. So the second <laughs> myth that they say is that abortion is linked to difficulty conceiving or carrying future pregnancies. And so what they say is this happens to not be the case. And people who have abortions in the past can easily get pregnant in the future. And there's not really a, a link here. Now, when I first heard this, I was thinking actually about some conversations that I've had on the streets where people did express to me that the reason they were not able to have children now was because of something that went wrong in the abortion, in their abortion procedure in the future, whether it be um, you know, the surgical abortion, which uses a, cur a curette to, to scrape the, the lining of the uterus. And they, they were scarred during that. The inner, the inner lining of the uterus was scarred because of that procedure. And because of that, the, the, um, the, the newly formed or the newly created human being, the, the embryo or the zygote, was not able to implant in the uterus. And, and therefore, uh, because was not able to implant, um, had a, she had a miscarriage, and, and that was sort of a continual thing as a direct result of the abortion that she's had in the past. But maybe, Cam, um, you know, how, do, how would you respond to this on the streets? And what are your initial thoughts as well when you think about the claim that it happens to be a myth that there's no link between abortion and difficulty uh, having children in the future? So there's two major things that go into my brain. And, and one of them is what you touched on of just the anecdotal evidence that there are people who have a very, very difficult time conceiving um, and having that child implant. I, I shouldn't say conceiving because conception can happen just uh, conception and fertilization being synonymous. Um, the, the fertilization of that zygote, um, that may happen just as easily um, regardless of whether you've had um, an abortion or not. However, the implantation, as you mentioned, because of the scar tissue, sometimes I'll build on that by just, again, asking, what do you think would happen? 
right? Like, like you ram a suction tube into your uterus and suck out with the power much stronger than the suction tube used by the dentist. You're, you're violently ripping everything that you possibly can out of your uterus. You don't think there's any risk of it pulling a little bit too hard or, or um, changing the, um, the nature of your, your uterus? Or, or like you mentioned, the, the curettes in there just scraping the walls of the uterus as hard as they can. Like scar tissue is a thing that a lot of people recognize. But at the end of the day, this again is a flawed perspective in that this entire video, and understandably so, because they don't recognize the preborn child to be um, a preborn child, a valuable human being, both this, the breast cancer link, and other ones that we'll talk about are all focused on pro-lifers think abortion would be wrong because of these things that happen to mothers. They're going to say that abortion is wrong because of breast cancer link. They're going to say that abortion is wrong or that you shouldn't have abortion because you'll have trouble um, having children in the future. That's not why abortion is wrong. Right. And so I, I wouldn't debate with somebody on the street corner, on a doorstep or at a dinner table, whether or not necessarily this could put you at greater risk. Um, obviously, there is a time and a place. I know that the groups like the Equal Rights Institute and others and pregnancy care centers will focus a little bit more heavily on the mother to connect with them and, and cause them a moment of pause when they actually think about the risk in their own life. And so there is a time and a place, but by and large, we want to focus on the preborn child. And so the fact that future siblings may be impacted is, is barely at the forefront of our mind when we say that even if it doesn't hamper your ability to have children in the future, it absolutely hampers this current child's ability to continue living um, to the point that it almost certainly will slaughter them. Um, that's what we want to talk about. That's where we want to focus. And so don't get bogged down with this kind of myth or notion. Yes, it's true. And that's why it's so tempting for pro-lifers because we know that it's true. We've seen anecdotally, we've seen statistically, it is true that you may have a much more difficult time um, bringing children to full term after having had an abortion. But that hopefully is not what's motivating somebody to not have that abortion. Hopefully what's motivating them to not have an abortion, hopefully what you're able to convey to them, as you mentioned, Peter, in the human rights argument, is the fact that all members of the human family, regardless of our age or stage of development, get human rights. And because of that, those human rights begin when the human's life begins. And so that's where I think we need to re-steer the conversation back towards what is abortion actually doing? What actually happens during an abortion? Um Maybe, maybe I'll dive, Peter, if, if it's okay with you, into this next claim that I, I find interesting, anti-abortion laws. Yeah, sorry. Before, before you do that, I just want to make um, just one sort of statement. Um, and this is something I've learned a lot from you, uh, and you talk about this a lot. But in our conversations, what we really want to do, and you've highlighted this time and time again, is keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah. Right? Keep the, the main thing of what abortion is actually doing to preborn children the main thing. It's easy to talk about a lot of other sort of issues that tie into abortion in some way or another or are part of the conversation for one reason or another. But if we don't really establish in our conversations that a preborn child is a human being worthy of dignity um, and has a human being that ought to have the right to life, then we're kind of missing the point in the entire conversation. So just wanted to, to touch on that, Cam, the importance of keeping the main thing the main thing in the conversations focusing on who are the preborn children and, and what precisely does abortion do to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great clarification there. 
Um, so if, if we move on, Peter, into this next one, and maybe we'll cover one or two more before we dive into kind of a wrap up here and, and a, a reflection on, on 52 episodes of the Pro-Life Guys podcast, the claim that anti-abortion laws do not equal less abortions, they are just far, there are just far more abortions that are unsafe where there are um, restrictions or people are simply traveling to other countries to get those same um abortions. What's your go-to line on, on how do you respond to the idea that legislation doesn't actually um, precipitate into fewer abortions being performed? Yeah. So um, I guess there are two ways to go. Most of the people that I've seen would go the way, the route of, okay, these are the stats. This is how, um, you know, how the abortion rate has lowered. And this is why it's lowered in our opinion and our theory. But I think one of the important things for the conversations that we have is um, not really focusing on, you know, sort of the periphery items, as it were, the periphery topics, but but really getting to the heart of, um, like you've mentioned and you've highlighted, and I guess we're going to do it and keep doing it. So hopefully you don't think it's ad nauseum, but this is how a good conversation happens on the streets, focusing on the preborn child. So in a conversation, if I haven't actually established at this point that the preborn child is human, I'll typically go right to the human rights argument. Perhaps I'll have some sort of segue. Uh, into that human rights argument by way of just acknowledging what they said, the importance of legislation, um, but even just the the fact that legislation doesn't define morality in any way, and legislation doesn't determine whether abortion is right or wrong, and whether people listen to the laws that are in the country also don't determine whether uh, abortion is right or wrong. You could do this by way of an analogy as well. Uh, If we struck down all the theft laws uh, would that make theft okay? And if we had theft laws, um, would it, those theft laws be sort of useless if we still knew that people were stealing? Um, but I would write, go right away to the human rights argument, Cam. I, I, you know, do you believe in human rights? Do you believe that all humans should get human rights? If something is growing, is that not an indication that that thing is alive? If two ha- yeah, parents reproduce, two humans reproduce, what species will their offspring be? And then tying it all together with you know, doesn't it logically follow then that abortion, which ends the life of a growing, developing human being, is a human rights violation? That's what I want to do first, Cam, is really um, highlight who the preborn are, not not get distracted on some of these other things, which at the end of the day, we could have a really good conversation on. And yet the other person could still be pro-life, pro-choice, because I haven't given them a, give them a good reason to be pro-life. So what are your thoughts on, on that sort of approach? So I, I think it makes a ton of sense. And I think that comes back to the exact statement that I would say to them to lead things off of, you know, you make a great point. And that's why I'm here at your public university or high school or doorstep or whatever, and not lobbying politicians at legislature or or um, parliament buildings kind of thing. I recognize that you're never going to completely eradicate abortion if all you do is focus on politics because people need to understand to some degree what politics is trying to achieve, right? That's why we see such a turnover of uh, of politicians advocating in one way or another. That's why so many politicians are so afraid to touch the abortion issue in the first place. This isn't simply about making abortion illegal. We need to make abortion unthinkable before we even get there. The fact that abortions still happen in countries where it's illegal isn't a deficiency in legislation. It's a deficiency in education. People need to realize that abortion directly and intentionally kills a human being. If they're not getting that from the law, if they're not understanding the law, if they're not 
if it's not resonating with them sufficiently for them to not choose that action, then education needs to increase, not necessarily legislation. I, I think about how legislation throughout history has at times not hindered violent action. I, I mean, I, I'm a I'm a reader. Uh, I think a lot of the the audience will know that. And you you look at a book like uh, Tale of Two Cities and how in Britain they used to just like guillotine anybody um, who who robs stuff or this or that or the other thing. Would you say then that making theft illegal doesn't stop it because people are still doing it and they're getting guillotined? You're you're having the maximum punishment possible for theft, and yet people are still robbing. Therefore, theft must be okay. No, obviously not. The fact that this is happening speaks more to the social structure of society than to the the fact that people are are um, incorrect in their morality sort of thing. And so we need education far more than we need legislation, especially here in Canada. And I love sharing that with people of like, no, you are the difference maker. I'm here to make sure that you never have an abortion, that none of your friends ever have abortions, regardless of what the law says. The, the law, be it as it may, obviously, I hope that it changes one day, but I'm far more concerned about you and your friends than I am about the abstract notion of legislation in our country. Um, legislation is a means to an end, not an end in and of itself. Beauty. Yeah, thank you. That's good. I, I really like what you said about um, if people still get an abortions, it's not a deficiency in the legislation, but a deficiency in the education. The last one here, Cam, I'll touch on it really briefly, is the claim that sex ed, uh, sex, sex education and access to contraceptives lead to unwanted pregnancies. When someone says something to, like that on the, to me on the streets, I'll often do the common ground approach. You know, I, I agree that having better education on sex uh, and the, the different topics around abortion and sort of these issues could lead to less unwanted pregnancies. What do you think about abortion? What do you think about this image that I'm showing here? Do you believe that all humans should get human rights? This, this for me, again, um, we could talk about sexual education, we could talk about contraceptives, but they, they don't have anything to do with like, is abortion okay? Is it moral? Is it not? And if we have, so I often think about it this when so, this way, when someone brings up another topic is if we have a really, really fruitful conversation about this topic, is it going to mean they're going to be pro-life? And when it comes to sex education, we could agree on sex education at the end of the day, at the end of a three and a half hour conversation, whatever it might be, but we never got to the point of, of what abortion is and who the preborn children are. And so I, I take do that transition as quick as possible. Um, point back to the image that I, I'm holding, whether it's on a sign or in a pamphlet, and, and try to highlight and ask them questions around what they think about abortion and who they think the preborn children are. The final statement we have here, Cam, uh, was one of the last things they said on the video, and it, it is, and I quote, access to legal abortions makes women's lives safer and healthier, end quote. Before we dive into Kind of the highlights that we've had for the last year of doing podcasting of doing the pro-life guys podcast please respond to that just briefly my 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 knee jerk is to just ask well how old do the women have to be to have safer and healthier lives try out that toddler and say well should all women get human rights and and how old does woman have to be to get human rights how old does she have to be for us to care about the safety and health of her life, because obviously abortion is killing a massive number of very young, very precious women. 
And so draw now the toddler there, obviously common ground knowledge question around it, like common ground that, that absolutely want women's lives to be safer and healthier. Imagine that somebody was killing a bunch of born children um, to make women's lives safer and healthier. Is that something that we would support? If not, why preborn children? Um, the the routine works. Uh, we don't just say it because we don't have anything else to say. It works. It changes people's minds. The notion that you have to slaughter your own children to live healthy and happy is part of the reason why our society is so messed up. Obviously, there's a lot of factors that go into it, but that's where I challenge them on that yes, we want people to live healthier um, and safer lives. Do we achieve that by killing literally the weakest and most vulnerable members of the human family though? Perfect, thank you, sir. Just before we dive into the last segment, I just wanna highlight that we're going to be putting some links to future references on some of the things we've talked about in the show notes. So episode 43 on the abortion pill, episode 44 on the abortion pill reversal procedure, episode 29, which is our conversation with an ex-abortionist who talks about some of the procedures um, that she performed and some of the abortion procedures that are common today. And then abortionprocedures.com, which is live actions, uh, sort of animated videos um, that, that show what abortion is as well. So check out the show notes for those uh, for those links and for the, the further research and some more listening as well. All right, Kim, 52nd episode a year ago, we were very, very green when it came to podcasting. We had to learn a lot in terms of microphones and equipment, but also how to speak into a microphone and how to be comfortable in a studio. We learned how to do this on video because we started video about halfway through. Uh, and if, if you're not familiar with that, you can find our videos on YouTube. All of our full episodes uh, since that point are there. But uh, before I dive into perhaps some of the highlights that we have, what what, what are some of your thoughts uh, or kind of a key thought from this past year that you're thinking about now on this uh, wonderful anniversary of ours? Honestly, it has been a blast. It, it has been challenging learning all of this. It's been challenging researching how to podcast effectively. It's been challenging listening to old episodes and trying to figure out what I need to improve and, and where we need to go as a program. But it has been so much fun being able to interact with um, you, our audience. I love being able to interact with your Instagram messages and whatnot. We've made some good friends and, and regular commenters and whatnot out there. It's been fun getting to meet so many of my own heroes in the pro-life movement, getting to meet Alison Santafonte and Lila Rose and Scott Klusendorf and these, these incredible heroes and giants in the pro-life movement. It's been fun. Um, getting to work with you, Peter. It's been a really, really good experience. And, and I loved it. I, I never thought that I was going to be on the podcast. I had initially thought that it was gonna be you and a different host. And, and it just sort of worked out that it ended up being you and you and I and this has been a ton of fun. And so that's been my big takeaway of just how much fun this has been to be able to put together an educational program that people genuinely like. Like, like not only have we gotten that good anecdotal feedback from you, our audience, from the ratings and reviews that we've gotten from so many of you, I've got interns now that, that said like, yeah, I, I first learned about CCPR through the podcast. I, we get people that um, are attending crash courses and whatnot because of the podcast. I literally door knocked on somebody's um, house down in the Okotoks, uh, just south of Calgary, like a month ago, um, just asking them what they think about abortion. It's like, oh, are you the guy from the show? And I was like, uh, what, what are you talking about? And like, oh, the, the Pro-Life Guys podcast. Are you the guy on the show? Um, 
And it's so weird to meet somebody who literally knew me through the podcast. It's been a, an absolute blast. Well, what is your takeaway, Peter? How, what's your, your feeling on this? Yeah, a lot of it's very similar. I've really enjoyed working with you as well. Um, I think it's a, a real blast and the opportunity to talk to some of our heroes, like Scott Kusendorf, as you mentioned, uh, like Lila Rose, uh, Alison Santafonte, like uh, Daniel Gilman, who's a friend of mine, but also a hero, like Jonathan, we got, we've got we been able to talk to him many times, and, and all of our other guests as well. We don't want to uh, say that you're not important. You certainly are. We, we've been really grateful for the opportunities we've had to talk to you, to learn from you, to explore your life, to explore your work. And, uh, and to see all of the great things that you've been up to and, and sort of to highlight what we can do as, as regular folks who perhaps aren't involved in the pro-life movement full time, um, just sort of a regular worker, we're able to learn a little bit more about what we can do. I, uh, I, I've had that experience as well. I was at a wedding a few weeks ago and uh, I, I didn't know very many people at that wedding, but uh, I was sitting at this table and someone was looking at me and she was like, I recognize you from somewhere. And it was from the podcast as well, which is really strange. <laughs> um, I've had that a few times. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure what to think of that quite yet. I, I don't want to be like this celebrity sort of uh, whatever. But <laughs> the fact that the fact that people are listening to the podcast is encouraging to me because that means people are getting more informed about the abortion conversation. They're getting more informed and equipped on pro-life apologetics. They're able to, to respond to pro-abortion justifications far more. And to me, that's a win. And just to highlight that for a second, so on our 52nd episode here, um, that's not true, but I had about 79 episodes because uh, we do two a week and we started that perhaps in, I think, January now. Uh, so 79 episodes. We've had nearly 30,000 30, downloads so far, 30,000 downloads and listens on the podcast catchers and on YouTube. And that's roughly 380 listens per episode 380 lessons per episode now if you compare that to a guy like joe rogan who i listen to from time to time it's very small listen to a guy like ben shapiro it's very small but for us um this is the way i, I look at it cam i did a presentation two nights ago from time of recording there were 15 people there i did a presentation earlier that day there were eight nine people there um and i i like to see our podcast episodes as presentations, as a, an opportunity to share a little bit more with an audience. And, and to think that every time we sit behind the microphone cam, we have an audience of, of 350, 380, 400 uh, participants, 400 people listening to some of the things we're talking about, about the abortion wars, in, incredibly encouraging to me uh, for the reason I mentioned, because people are getting more equipped, people are getting more knowledgeable. And, uh, and I hope through this, through this, this venture, we're raising up a generation of activists, not just in Canada, not just in the United States, but but listeners throughout the world who are able to not be tongue tied when the conversation comes up, but be able to respond in winsome, but also effective ways to, to see people become pro-life who before that were pro-choice. So any thoughts on that? And, and if not, then maybe dive into some of the other uh, highlights. And and I know you're, you're big on the, the how to um ratings that we have so perhaps dive into that as well cam yeah and and so just building on that peter i i think first and foremost a huge 
thank you to you, our audience, right? That, that a podcast is nothing without the audience. As Peter, you mentioned, we've got hundreds of people tuning in week over week who are willing to stick around with the program to learn more, to um, hopefully better equip yourself to have these important life-saving conversations. Huge thank you to you for being a part of this program and helping us um, develop the podcast, sharing with us um, your, your feedback. Not only your very formal feedback, but also the statistics and stuff that we can glean from your listening um, and, and that kind of thing, realizing what topics interest you, what topics do you care about, what topics get a ton of hits in the first couple of days, what topics get listened to until the very end or, or where do we lose people and, and that kind of thing. Your listening habits have helped us to hopefully improve this program to better serve you, our listener. And through that, I mean, glory be to God, um, our, our ultimate master who, who we are seeking to serve with our whole heart, and through that, serving preborn children. His preborn children, at the end of the day, this is what we're in this for. We're not in this for ourselves. We're not in this for even the, the progress development of our organization per se, we're in this to protect preborn children. And if we're able to do that, then praise God. Um, as you mentioned, Peter, the, the stats that I love listening to time and again, so we follow the statistics that are coming um, from different charts and whatnot. We're often fitted into the how-to genre of podcasts. And, and there's literally hundreds of thousands of how-to or educational podcasts out there in each country. And yet in many of the countries that they track podcasting um, statistics in there, there's over a dozen that we follow. We are routinely cracking the top 25 in the how-to category of podcasting. At times jumping up in the top five. Canada, we've peaked at top four in Canada for how-to podcasts in general. So we're... we're um, competing with how to do your taxes, how to how to fix your 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 toilet, how to how to do all of these other things. This isn't how to pro life podcasts and we're the number four how to pro life podcast. This is um, the entire genre of how to podcast. We've been really, really humbled by that and really it's been a privilege to be able to do this. So I again a massive thank you to you. And we want to say thank you in a more meaningful way than just um here on the show, Peter, we, we want to build up um, two things. We're excited. I know that we've been talking about this for, for several months now that we're unveiling. It's been a long process working with our, our podcast development team, um, our promotional team and, and graphic designers and whatnot, but maybe share a little bit about um, this, this entity that we're, we're really excited about um, formalizing and kind of doing a, a relaunch, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're doing a, I guess a launch of one thing and a relaunch of another. We're doing a launch of our pro-life guys store. We've been working on graphics uh, for t-shirts and, and scotch glasses and uh, just a bunch of, of random items as well, like bookmarks and so on. Um, so we'll be having a pro-life guys store where you're able to not just get some pretty cool merch, which I'm looking forward to wearing some of the t-shirts because we designed them in a way that I, I would, I would wear them, but I'm looking forward to, um, so I'm looking forward to wearing them, but it's also an opportunity in, in that way to support the Pro-Life Guys podcast. So thank you so much uh, for, for sticking around. We will be posting more about that when it's launched on our social media platforms and sharing it on the app, on whatever episode it is that's, um, that it's coming out on. And then we're doing a Patreon unveil, which will include um, some of the merch as well. So if you're uh, a Patreon supporter, there are a few of you now. We thank you so much for your partnership. 
Um, but but even for for more of you, we're relaunching and sort of revamping our Patreon page and our Patreon perks and, and some of the benefits of being a Patreon supporter. Uh, some of that will include merch. Some of that will include a new series, which we have started actually. Story time with the guys. We have uh, posted and shared three videos so far, three sort of story times where we sit down and have a conversation. It's not a really conversation. We just share stories from the movement. Um, and those are Patreon patron exclusive, Patreon exclusive. Um, so if you're a Patreon supporter, you can access those. Um, I'm sure you get an email invitation to those as well. So am I missing something there, Cam? No, I, I think that's largely it, that, that we're trying to reward you, our listeners, more and more and get you more of an inside look. The the story time, it's not just about like, how do we apply these apologetics on the street? Obviously, Peter, you and I are sharing a ton of anecdotal stories of, of how we apply apologetics. This is more, whether it's the lighter side or whether it's the darker side of our experience in the movement, I was sharing about how I got guilt tripped into being involved in the pro-life movement initially. Um, I'll be sharing episodes about um, what it's been like for me working full-time in the movement, what it's been like for me last time I went to an abortion facility down in Florida, and just a heartbreaking experience that I had there. Just a, a more raw, a more real kind of exploration about um, what's going on. So I'm, I'm, I love the idea of storytelling, as you can tell. I, I often tell lots of stories, whether they're good or bad, and it'll be up to you. Um, but we're really excited about that. One other thing that I'll mention, if you want to meet Peter and I in person, we'd love to meet you. And, and how do you do that? Well, I'm not going to post necessarily my home address quite at this point yet. Um, you'll see that one of our Patreon levels at the $1,000 a month, if anyone wants to sign up for $1,000 a month, Peter and I will straight up like fly out to your birthday party. So you can totally do that. But how to do that for a lot cheaper, hopefully, than than $1,000 a month. Peter and I are both speaking at the Calgary Crash Course. It, it's an apologetics, highly intensive crash course that we're doing. It's going to be August 20th and 21st of the days of the formal crash course, a Friday, Saturday. I'm going to do it here in Calgary, Alberta. And... Um, not only that, not only can you learn in person the in-depth stuff that Peter and I talk about on a daily basis, but also if you want to come and make a holiday of it, Peter and I are going to be um, leading a few hikes. We've talked about how both he and I are avid hikers. Um, come on the Wednesday, the Thursday, we're going to be leading some very, very cool um, local hikes in the area. So you get to know us a little bit better. You get to do some hiking as well. Um, and and go from there so that's something that we want to invite you to as well peter you got one more note then we'll wrap up from there i'm sure yeah one more note uh one of the the options we have in sort of learning a little bit more about our podcasts and the stats and, and those sorts of things we can see where people download by location now we don't have your home address but we we do have sort of like a general location so a lot of our downloads come from canada the united states uh, and mexico with a good amount coming from the United Kingdom and other nations in Europe as well. But, but we have uh, some from Venezuela, some from Jamaica, Puerto Rico, Ecuador, uh, Honduras, Argentina. I think that's Clara. Uh, at least one of them is Clara. So thank you so much. Um, South Africa, Uganda, Egypt. Here I have a Ghana. Um, so maybe that Samuel Says connection. I'm not really sure. Uh, we have listeners in India, listeners in Malaysia, listeners in New Zealand, listeners in Australia, and, and other places as well. Uh, I'm just quickly looking here. Singapore uh, and yeah. Yeah, Russia, uh, Lithuania, 
So it's pretty cool. Um, and, and like I said earlier, we're excited because not just because you're listening to our voice, which is, is pretty incredible, but um, we're excited because people are being equipped. People are learning more. And we thank you so much for that. We want to encourage you, um, if you're watching on YouTube, please uh, help us out by subscribing, hitting that notification bell. If you're listening on a podcast catcher, give us a review, hit that subscribe button. And please don't stop sharing our podcast, sharing our episodes with your friends, with your families, with those around you, um, so that more and more people can learn some of the things that we are sharing, some of the things that we've learned over the last, for me, six, seven years, for Cam, decade of experience on the streets. So I'm going to wrap this up. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this 52nd episode of the Pro-Life Guys podcast. As I mentioned before, we're humbled, we're thankful for you tuning in. Check us out on our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you do your social media. If you want to reach out to us, you can do so there. You can do so on our website, prolifeguys.com. All of our, our episodes, the full archive of them is on our website, prolifeguys.com. Or most of them are on YouTube by searching the Pro-Life Guys podcast. And they are all on your favorite podcast catcher or wherever you listen to your music. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you tune in again next time. God bless each and every one.